welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 49, Wow. <laughs> obviously, well, I guess maybe not obviously yet if you don't know what the, the um, sections are this week, but WOW stands for Word of Wisdom. So that's why I'm calling it WOW, and it sounds kind of fun to say WOW instead of just Word of Wisdom. So first, I just want to thank you guys for sharing this week. It really, truly, like I know that you hear people say this in podcasts, and they're like, thank you so much for sharing. That's great. And you feel kind of disconnected from that because it feels like, you know, your little share, you know, probably doesn't feel like you're making this huge difference. Really, truly, it makes a huge difference. And I see it. And it makes it so much more rewarding. It makes me feel like I, I mean, I never really ultimately feel like I'm ever wasting my time doing this because it benefits me and my family first and foremost, but it is very rewarding to see that the numbers are increasing and that people are listening and coming back and getting something out of it. So again, your shares to your friends and family truly make a difference. So thank you so much. Thank you for rating it. Thank you for all the things. Um, secondly, before I move on to our actual subject of the, of the scriptures, I want to tell you really quick, I've shared about this on my Instagram, which if you're not following my, following me on Instagram, go to come follow me underscore with Brie. And I, I post on there. Um, but I, so I already posted on there about this, but I just wanted to tell you guys, um, even if you're not in the, in the Utah area, which most of you aren't, um, there is a new play out called 1820, the musical. And it's about Joseph Smith's life through the eyes of Emma Smith. And it's really, really great. It's playing in the Covey Center in Provo, Utah. But the reason I want to tell you guys about it is because any of you can access the music. It's just look up on whoever your music provider is, 1820, the musical. And it is so fun to go through and listen to all the songs. My very most favorite song is the last one, and I have been listening to it over and over this week, and it's called I'm Still Here, and I just want you guys to to listen to that and to, it's it's right after Joseph dies in the play, and Emma's singing to him as he lays on the stage, and I love listening to her words and how she, thinking about how she must have felt after he died, but also then the whole cast comes in. And they're singing, I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. Everything will be made clear in the end. And I'm not going anywhere unless I'm going home to Jesus. And it is it is such a good song. And what it makes me think about when the cast comes in is it makes me think about all of our loved ones and people who have left the church over the last 10 years and the sadness that that has brought to to so many of us. And it just makes me really feel that like commitment and um, determination and dedication to the Lord when I listen to that song, because I just think I am still here and I am not going anywhere and I'm not going to surrender to my fears and I am dedicated to the savior. And I just, it's just makes me have chills and it makes me cry every time. So if you're going to go listen to any of the songs, go listen to the last one. It's called, I'm still here, but I really encourage you to listen to the entire soundtrack because it's really fun. There's lots of really great songs and really amazing singers. So 1820, the musical, go look it up. All right. So the sections for this week are sections 89 through 92. So just to give you just a very, very brief recap, section 90 continues. And I'm actually, I'm going to skip section 89 because that's the bulk of what we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to move on to section 90. So section 90 continues to establish the first presidency and how that should work. And it also talks about a really cool lady named Vienna. I don't know how to say her last name. Jacques. 
I don't know, <laughs> who consecrated a lot of her wealth to the church. Um, section 91 is super interesting. The Apocrypha used to be in the Bible. It's a series of 14 books. And even at the time, among other Christian religions, it was debated whether it was really of what's much worth as scripture um, and if it should be canonized. Joseph Smith is, at that time, he was going through the translation of the Old Testament. And so basically, he's asking the Lord if it's necessary to worry about the Apocrypha. And the Lord says, no, don't worry about it. There, He also is saying there's some good stuff in it, but there's also some stuff that's coming entirely from man. And he said also, interestingly, that it was mostly translated correctly. So basically, that's just the Lord saying, yeah, it's got some good stuff in it, but a lot of maybe not great stuff in it too. So don't worry about translating that one. Oh, and it also says if someone was enlightened by the spirit, they could receive benefit from it. But if they don't have the spirit, then they could not be benefited. So I actually would be interested in looking it up on the Internet or something, the, the Apocrypha. And I would be interested to read about that and read read the scriptures, because I guess if you have the spirit, you could be benefited from it. Anyway, obviously, maybe not a priority since the Lord didn't make it a priority, but it is interesting to me. So. That also, just that concept of the Apocrypha and that some people, if you're enlightened by the Spirit, could receive benefit from it, makes me think about the things that I bring into my mind that aren't necessarily Scripture, but I could receive some benefit from it if I have the Spirit. So the variable there is if I have the Spirit, I can receive benefit from things that maybe aren't entirely Scripture. So one more great reason to have the Spirit. And then in section 92... It's directed toward Frederick G. Williams, who we read about several sections back as he was called to the first presidency. If you remember, at the time his name was inserted, after the fact, into a chronologically earlier revelation where another man was called to be in the first presidency, but then he was excommunicated, and so then Frederick G. Williams was uh, replaced him. Um, but that happened um, about a year later, and so we read about him chronologically when the original guy was called, and now we're we're back to where chronologically William Frederick G. Williams was actually called. So that's kind of gives you a little summary of, of just some context for as you read those sections. But I want to focus on section 89, which is the word of wisdom. I'm sure a lot of you have heard the the story about why Joseph inquired of the Lord about this topic and could tell this this part of the story just as well as I could, but just for the sake of just saying it, Emma would clean the room that was used for the school of the prophets after they were done. And she was bothered by the gross atmosphere of tobacco stains on the floor and the terrible smelling room. And it seemed inconsistent with her of these men are going in and they're having these spiritual experiences and they're, they're talking and trying to grow spiritually. And then they're doing this really gross thing of chewing tobacco and smoking pipes. It just seemed inconsistent to her. So she brought that up to Joseph and that left Joseph wondering if those practices were something that was pleasing to the Lord. And as a result of his inquiry, he received section 89, which gave him far more information than he even asked for. Which always is a good thing to notice is when the Lord gives us more information, either from the prophets or to yourself, than you even asked for, that must mean that you are ready for that level of the law. So the Lord could have just addressed the the tobacco and pipe smoking but the Lord knew and addresses in here toward the beginning that they were ready to obey a higher, a higher law, a higher at the time advice. So he gave them that additional information because he knew that they were ready to, to take that on. 
Now, it was presented as advice or um, a word of wisdom. That's why it's called the word of wisdom in the beginning. And they didn't require immediate perfect obedience to that. It was more looked at as as a as a caution or a warning of of not doing these thing, things in excess. And as usual, I think that was pretty smart of the Lord. I think that they he knew that although they were ready for some more information, they might not have been ready to immediately comply because many people would find it hard to give up the, using those powerful substances. And Joseph did not insist on strict conformity. And he himself continued to drink alcohol occasionally, and he and Emma sometimes would drink coffee and tea. So that was kind of interesting to me that it was this gradual change. Eventually, as we know, the word of wisdom was declared a commandment and is now required in order to be worthy to hold a temple recommend or to get baptized. And I think it's just pretty cool that the Lord knew that it would be unrealistic for an entire young church to immediately perfectly obey this revelation as a commandment. But as the saints got more used to it as a way of life, it was then declared a commandment. A higher law was now required. One of the phrases that really stuck out to me this time was, quote, given for a principle with a promise, adapted to the capacity of the weak and the weakest of all saints who are or can be called saints. What does it mean that it is adapted to the capacity of the weak and the weakest of all saints? Think about when you were growing up and you went to school and the school had rules that were realistic for everyone to perfectly obey. The rules didn't include that you had to perform perfectly on your schoolwork or be the star of the track team or sing a beautiful solo in the school play. The rules were be on time, be respectful, and be obedient to your teachers, do your homework, don't talk when the teacher is talking, dress to a certain level of modesty, etc. And all of these rules cater to a pretty basic level of ability. So in application to the word of wisdom, I think it means that this is a law that we have the capacity to pretty perfectly obey. It is adapted to the weakest of all saints, as it says. We have the capacity. There's obviously tons of commandments that we don't have the capacity to perfectly obey at this point in our mortal journey or immortal journey, like love thy neighbor as thyself. We, at this point in mortality, I don't think any of us have the capacity to perfectly do that. But the word of wisdom, as it's adapted to the weakest of all saints, we have the capacity to perfectly obey the word of wisdom. And of course, repent if we don't. So there are some well-known don'ts like don't drink alcohol, strong drinks are not for the belly, tobacco is not for the body, neither for the belly. But what I want to talk about are the do's. He says that all wholesome herbs God has ordained for the constitution, nature, and use of man. Every, every herb in the season thereof and every fruit in the season thereof to be used with prudence and thanksgiving. Now, the next part is really interesting to me, and it's a part that I feel like when I heard it, I, I hear it being talked about, it's kind of brushed aside as not something that we even want to consider. It says in verse 12, Yea, flesh also of beasts and of the fowls of the air, I the Lord have ordained for the use of man with thanksgiving. Nevertheless, they are to be used sparingly. And it is pleasing unto me that they should not be used only in times of winter and of cold and of famine. Now, before I go on, I want to make it very clear that I don't know what the perfect interpretation of this scripture is. And we're also not given really any clarification from general authorities about exactly what it means. 
And I also want to make it clear that I eat meat frequently and my husband loves to barbecue and grill and I love to go out to restaurants and eat dishes with meat in them. However, I think it's interesting in general that this scripture is just kind of ignored. I was talking to my husband about it and I think obviously we know, we all know that our culture has become one of great indulgence and wealth here in the United States. Even the poorest people in the United States have access to some so much more aid and food than many, many places in the world. And in fact, those living below the poverty level in the United States are living in far more comfortable circumstances than those living in poverty in third world countries. So here in the United States, we are very blessed with an abundance of access to healthcare, access to food, access to education, etc. And one of those things that we have seemingly unlimited access to is meat. So I think we've all grown up with a mentality that this is just how we eat and it would be ridiculous to limit that in any way. I always like to challenge myself in my thinking when I'm realizing that the reason I'm thinking the way that I think is purely because of my culture and not because of actual true principles. So when I read this scripture and it challenges how I feel that my diet should be structured, I try not to just brush it aside because it contradicts how our culture thinks about how we should eat. Hopefully that makes sense. So the word of wisdom counsels us to eat meat sparingly. However, we are also told in Doctrine and Covenants chapter 49 verse 18, whoso forbiddeth to eat meat is not ordained of God. So when you take those two verses together, what would you conclude? I kind of love stuff like this because I love thinking about the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. And we clearly are not given an exact, precise law about exactly how much meat we should or should not be eating. In the New Testament, the Pharisees, who were some of the Jewish religious leaders of the time, were very focused on very minute, trivial rules, and especially the outward appearance of keeping all of these rules. And the rules were being continually changed, and new rules were being made to accommodate different situations. They had many, many very trivial rules about what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath. So in Matthew 23, verses 27 through 28, Jesus said to the Pharisees, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto the whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones, and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. That's pretty harsh. (laughs) So he's basically saying, yeah, you guys look great on the outside, and like you're being so righteous on the outside, but where is your heart? Where is where is your spirit? Where is your is your mind and your inward conviction? So the Pharisees were very focused on what we like to call the letter of the law, the performance of the law, the outward appearance of the law, rather than focusing on the spirit of the law, how it affects your heart and what kind of conditions it creates within your heart toward God. I love how we have so many things in the gospel that we are not given exact rules on exactly what to do and not to do. We are told in the scriptures many times that we will not be commanded in all things, for he that must be commanded in all things is a slothful servant. So we should be able to understand the law and be able to decide on the minutiae for ourselves. Take the Sabbath day. Do the general authorities come out in general conference and give us a list of things we can and cannot do on the Sabbath? Nope. 
we are very thoroughly taught about the Sabbath and what the intention for the day is, and then we all decide for ourselves what is appropriate and not appropriate. What is drawing us closer to the Lord and worshiping the Lord on that day and what is not? And then on another topic for the wearing of garments, we are not given exact rules of when we can and cannot be taking them off. We are simply told that we should be wearing them throughout our life and that they should not be removed for activities that can reasonably be done with them on. So what is the point of being vague rather than specific? I think there's a couple of reasons, but I think one of them is because the Lord requires that we be not slothful servants. We are required to live a higher law wherein we can receive personal revelation and communication with the Spirit that will allow for us to discern for ourselves what is appropriate behavior and what is not. I think another really great reason that I've thought of is that it also keeps us from being pharisaical, wherein we look at the behavior of those around us and we say, oh, He's not supposed to be doing this little thing on Sunday or whatever. It keeps us, it helps us not be judgmental because we know that we all are required. We are all enabled to discern for ourselves what is appropriate and what is not. And I think that there with, with that, I think there's also a dangerous area that I have seen myself get into where I can convince myself that I feel good about something and that God would be fine with it because it's what I want. And I think that sometimes we can convince ourselves that God is fine with it when we really haven't consulted with God at all. And that us just being like, yeah, yeah, it's fine, is just a self-soothing justification. For instance, Sabbath day activities. I know that I have done some things on Sunday that if I had really consulted with God, I would know that I probably shouldn't be doing them or that that wasn't an activity that God would sanction on Sunday. Um, But I choose to just gloss over the consulting with God part in my mind because I can just convince myself that, oh, it's, it's fine. It's not a big deal. But I don't know that some of those activities really were fine. I just kind of decided to feel okay about it by, by not actually sincerely going to God about, about different activities in my mind. So for myself, I'm always self-analyzing whether I'm really consulting with the Lord. When I read this particular scripture about meat, it tells us that we should be eating meat sparingly. However, we also read that other scripture in the Doctrine and Covenants that we already read that says that if there is any man who forbids to eat meat, that is not of God. So if I consult with God and not bring my own distorted view of eating meat that comes from our culture, what conclusion do I come to? And as with a lot of things, I come to the conclusion that extreme temporal behaviors is usually not in line with how the Lord requires us to live or wants us to live. So eating absolutely no meat is an extreme behavior, but also eating an excessive amount of meat is an extreme behavior. So I think the Lord wants us to live somewhere in the middle. And I would err on the side based on these scriptures that he wants us to err on the side of much, much less meat because it talks about sparingly and only in times of famine and, and, uh, cold. So just, just some food for thought. I'm just trying to tickle your mind that sometimes what we might accept culturally might not be in line with what the Lord would have us do. And this, this concept of eating meat sparingly is then emphasized by talking about the things that we should be eating in abundance. It says in verse 14 through 17, All grain is ordained for the use of man and of beasts to be the staff of life, not only for man, but for the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven and all wild animals that creep and run on the earth. And these things God made for the use of man only in times of famine and excess of hunger. 
again, he's repeating what he said earlier. What does it usually mean when repetition is present in the scriptures? Just something to think about. All grain is good for the food of man, as also the fruit of the vine which yieldeth fruit, whether in the ground or above the ground. Nevertheless, wheat for man, and corn for the ox, and oats for the horse, and rye for the fowls, and for the swine, and for all beasts of the fields, and barley for the for all useful animals, and for mild drinks, as also other grain. So, grains and fruit of the vine, which in my mind means like fruits and vegetables and nuts and herbs, are supposed to be the primary driver of our diet. Now, clearly this section is not all-inclusive in all of the ways that we can keep our bodies healthy, but amazingly, we live in the fullness of times. Not only do we have incredible knowledge on how we should eat and the importance of exercise, but many of us here in the United States, which is the majority of you guys listening, have access to these foods and so much information on how to exercise our bodies. So let's bring this back to why the Lord wants us to do this. Verse 18, And all saints who remember to keep and do these sayings, walk in obedience to the commandments, shall receive health in their navel and marrow to their bones, and shall find wisdom and great treasures of knowledge, even hidden treasures, and shall run and not be weary, and walk and not faint. And I, the Lord, give unto them a promise that the destroying angel shall pass by them as the children of Israel and not slay them. Amen. I know for myself, one of the number one determining factors of how much I'm enjoying my life has a lot to do with how well I'm eating and how consistently I'm ex- exercising. And when I'm eating a lot of fruit and vegetables and healthy food, my energy is higher. I have the emotional and physical capacity to do the things that I want and need to do to be the kind of mother I want to be, to be the kind of friend I want to be, to be the kind of servant of the Lord I want to be. When our physical bodies that houses our spirits feel energized and is getting the nutrients that it needs, and we quite literally are given a higher capacity to serve the Lord. And when we are given a higher capacity to serve the Lord, we are thereby given a higher capacity to experience joy. Why did we come down here to earth? To attain a mortal body. And clearly our mortal bodies are an integral part to us becoming more like our Heavenly Father and being able to accomplish what we are supposed to. So if our mortal bodies are nourished and energized and functioning to the best of their abilities, that in turn prevents us from being held back by those mortal bodies. Now, obviously, there are many, many people on the earth who have physical conditions that they or others might view as limiting when we talk about it in this way. But I want to remind and promise you that whatever body you have been sent to the earth with is given its maximum capacity to accomplish what you need to on the earth by keeping it as healthy as possible. So don't misunderstand me and hear me say that those who are most physically capable are the most effective servants of the Lord. That is not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the Lord has a plan for you. And the Lord has ways in which he can use you and following these words of wisdom can help your body and therefore your spirit have maximum effectiveness. So my challenge for you this week is to think about the spirit of this law. And if you are following the spirit of the law of the word of wisdom, firstly, because we do not want to be, quote, slothful servants by needing to be commanded in all things in order to follow the spirit of the law. We should be able to try and figure out what the spirit of the laws are and truly go to the Lord with our decisions and our behavior and decide if they are in line with the spirit of the law. But also because we are promised some pretty cool blessings in conjunction with keeping the word of wisdom. Now, these blessings obviously do not exempt you from health challenges in your life and other things that are just part of mortality. So I think it's also important to remember 
that if you aren't experiencing these blessings now, that doesn't mean that you will never experience them. There are plenty of blessings that we could list out that people have been promised but aren't currently experiencing. And that applies to the word of wisdom and its promised blessings as well. If your mortal body isn't cooperating right now through no fault of your own, that is unfortunately, very unfortunately, part of your mortal experience. And if you are faithful and keeping the commandments in the spirit of the law, these blessings, even if they don't come right now, will be yours. And whatever work your Heavenly Father has for you to do here on earth can absolutely 100% be done with whatever body you have been given. So if we follow the word of wisdom, we are promised health and wisdom and great treasures of knowledge, even hidden treasures. We are promised that we shall run and not be weary and walk and not faint and that the destroying angels shall pass by us. I for sure want all of those things. And I know that you do too. Isn't it so incredible how perfectly tailored to our happiness the Lord's commandments are? Following the word of wisdom keeps our minds and bodies healthy and able amazing bodies that house our spirits and allow us to do the incredible work that we are here to do on the earth, which, as President Nelson puts it, is to usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.